And good Sunday morning to you. Another edition of Healthy Matters, a special one this morning. We mentioned the topic will be the coronavirus. Good morning to you, Dr. David Hilden. I know you're on the go this morning. Good morning, Danny. Indeed, I am. I'm, I'm calling into the show this morning from uh, the Quad Cities. I'm in Moline, Illinois. Oh, yes. Morning. Well, uh, we, as I said, and I've been mentioning it a few times this morning about the, the topic today. Big topic, obviously, to say the least. And uh, why don't you let us know uh, who your special guest is today? Absolutely. We're going to talk about the COVID-19 virus today. People have been asking me, when are you going to do a show? When are you going to do a show? And there is changing information just about you know every single day. And so we thought now is probably a good time to give uh, listeners the best information we can using some expert guidance. And uh, so today is our show about COVID-19. Uh, or the virus that causes it, which is this new novel coronavirus. So to help me out with that, even though I'm calling from Illinois, I'm, uh, I happen to be at my father-in-law's funeral, a great man, uh, a man named Tom Railsback, my, my father-in-law. So we did that. Uh, and but even though I'm in Illinois, I have Dr. Caitlin Eccles-Radke in the studio back there in Minneapolis. Dr. Eccles-Radke is an infectious disease expert and has been helping lead our COVID-19 efforts at Hennepin Healthcare. So, Caitlin, thank you for being on the show, and welcome. Thanks for having me, Dave. So, could you tell our listeners, first of all, you're an infectious disease doctor. Tell me what your role is in helping guide our efforts on COVID-19. So, I wear a lot of hats at the hospital, but one of them is being the medical director for infection prevention. And with that... um, Excuse me. We have a team of people who uh, are involved in emergency preparedness, and Hennepin actually opened what we call the Incident Command Center back on January 23rd. So we've been working in getting prepared for this for a long time now, um, and it's a very multidisciplinary approach with lots of teams, anyone from supply chain to telehealth to pharmacy to the emergency room to clinics, et cetera, who all are working together to get ready and be prepared and know how to take care of patients with COVID-19 when we see one. It's amazing to me, who is not uh, uh, an emergency preparedness guy, not an infectious disease expert, it's amazing to see the number of people who kind of rise um, at times like this to just, um, they just shine in their expertise. And I've seen that at our hospital, including Dr. Eccles-Radke, but also we have um, people from our emergency department. And like you just said, we have um, people from the supply chain, the people that have to purchase products, if you will, and um, the, the infection prevention people. So it is really an incredible uh, mobilization, if you will, of a very large team of people. Now, normally, Caitlin, you, you're in, in infection prevention at the hospital. What are your usual activities when COVID-19 is up and, not up and about? Um, I do a mix of both inpatient and outpatient care. Um, so inpatient would be consults to other physicians who need help with diagnostics and, and treatment for people with infections. Um, and in the clinic, I do primary care for patients living with HIV. Um, and in addition to that, for infection prevention, we do a number of um, sort of monitoring things, looking for um, different types of infections within the hospital and making sure we prevent them so patients don't get sick while they're with us. So Caitlin literally advises our CEO and our executive leadership team along with her team of infection prevention colleagues. So let's get into coronavirus, if we could. 
why is this one so different? You know, why is this particular outbreak so different? You know, in some ways, there are a lot of similarities with this virus to things like the flu and other respiratory viruses. But the the part that's different is that it's new, and we just don't necessarily know everything about it yet because things are unfolding on a daily basis, as you mentioned. And, you know, we don't know how long people get sick for necessarily. We don't know what special populations it affects more than others uh, in some regards. And so we're just learning a lot of things as we move forward. And I think that's the thing that makes people scared is sort of what you don't know. Yeah, I I sort of likened it to, you know, you're not terribly scared about being hurt in in a car accident, but many people are afraid of air travel, for instance, when it's the car accident that's the more dangerous one. And I always think of, well, influenza is so common and so many people get sick from that, and coronavirus is not. But it is scary because it's so new. Does that mean that the, that the human population hasn't never been exposed to this before? You know, that is, is that why it's so new? This, this type of virus, um, so coronavirus is sort of a, a family of viruses. So when you hear coronavirus, right now everyone's talking about this new one, COVID-19, or this novel coronavirus, but there's actually other viruses that fit within the coronavirus family, including SARS um, and MERS are sort of the abbreviations, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome and uh, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And those are both also coronaviruses. So we can look at those from the past and make some guesses on how this current coronavirus uh, may continue to act. But everyone's a little bit different. So we're just not completely sure, um, you know, what it may do. So let's talk. So you said it's part of this large family of viruses. Do we know how it is spread from person to person? Uh, we do. So the it is spread through basically respiratory droplets. So anytime you cough or sneeze, um, that is sort of the biggest way that this gets spread from uh, between people. What about just being in in a room with somebody? You know, there's somebody across the room. You know, in general, we say uh, the infectious risk is if you're within six feet of someone for two minutes or longer. And I, and that's, you know, an estimate. Um, but someone across the room who may be coughing, you're probably fine as long as it's a big enough room. Yeah, I've heard that six feet and uh, being two minutes next to somebody closer within six feet. I can just imagine a world where we're all standing sort of like as far away from possible. And this is kind of a, I don't want to make light of it, but they even made a, a joke about that on Saturday Night Live last night where they did a skit where they were showing all the actors and none of them were getting within six feet of each other. And so I know that's making light of a serious situation, but it's sort of true. If you're further away from people, those droplets don't get on you, I guess. They don't float in the air. Is that right? You know, right now, the thought is they float through the air just a short distance uh, within that six feet window. But we don't we don't think that they float sort of further than that. So let's get to the recommendations, if we could. Um, I know that um, people know about hand washing and what they should do about not touching their face and wearing masks and all that, but I want to make sure we get it out there. So what are the current recommendations for, for instance, your own hygiene? Um, I think exactly what you said. So the most important things are making sure you're washing your hands. We say 20 seconds or longer, so humming things like happy birthday, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know, those – should be long enough for that if people need sort of a guideline. 
wiping down, you know, your computer screen at work or, you know, wiping around the house with just kind of routine cleaner. They say 60% alcohol or more um, will help kill kill the virus. Um, and otherwise, in addition to that, I would say uh, cover your cough. And if you have to cough or sneeze, sneeze into your arm. Don't sneeze on your hands where you may go and touch something afterwards. And it's really just getting back to sort of routine infection control practices like that that are really going to help you stay healthy and if you're sick not spread it to someone else it does sound kind of funny um again not not in the hysterically funny way but kind of odd that we are telling people things that maybe we've sort of known about other infection prevention strategies you know washing your hands and not sneezing on each other seems like basic advice but it's shocking i think what a lot of people are finding is how often we touch our face I don't think that we realize now everybody's so conscious of it. Why is touching your face a problem? You know, a lot of that's how things get spread, and this virus is known to be spread through mucous membranes, so things like your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. And so we really don't think much about it, but let's say you shook hands with someone who was sick and then itched your eye or um, rubbed your nose. There's a There's a chance that you could pick up the virus from someone else that way. So that's why we're just recommending... You know, really try to wash your hands, not touch your face, nose, mouth, eyes, all of that, um, just in yeah, another tool to try and keep you healthy. Tell you what, we need to take a quick break here on the show, but uh, don't go away. We have much more show to come here on Healthy Matters. Uh, fair skies in the Twin Cities, our current temperature reading 49 degrees, uh, heading for a high near 66 degrees today. Stay with us here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And now back with more Healthy Matters here again is Dr. David Hilden. Hello, everybody. We are talking about COVID-19, which is the name of the disease caused by the novel coronavirus. My guest today is Dr. Caitlin Eccles-Radke, an infectious disease and infection prevention specialist at Hennepin Healthcare. So, Caitlin, let's talk a little bit about just the signs and symptoms of COVID. Uh, and is there any way to tell from other illnesses? So what would people be feeling if, uh, if they had this thing? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, it's a lot of common things that go with respiratory infections. So cough, um, in more severe cases, trouble breathing, um, and people often will have a fever as well. On rare occasion, people can have uh, gastrointestinal symptoms like some diarrhea, but that is not as common. Um, so the main things to look for really are sort of fever, cough, trouble breathing. So that sounds like flu. You're right. Um, <laughs> it's very similar. And that's the trouble with the timing of this virus is that it's, you know, hitting during flu season. And so we have a lot of people coming in who are worried they may have it and actually are testing positive for the flu. So that kind of segues, if you will, into some of the other questions that I've been hearing a lot. Okay, so I'm sitting at home and I've, I have those symptoms. I haven't traveled to China. I haven't traveled to Italy. None of those things. But I have a, a fever or I have a cough. And, and what would a person do in that situation if they are not from one of those high-risk places? That's another good question. So what we are messaging to people is that if you have symptoms, say fever, cough, um, and respiratory symptoms, if you're not feeling that sick, we rarely recommend people stay home because we don't have any treatments other than supportive cares like fluids, Tylenol to bring your fever down, rest. And those are all things you can do at home. And um, 
you know, if by coming in you run the risk if you are sick with something of of spreading it to other folks. So if you have mild symptoms, we just recommend staying home. If you have any questions or concerns, call your doctor. The doctor's lines, nurse lines, telehealth lines are all prepared to answer your questions. But please um, call no matter what if you think you might need to come in. And if you're very sick, um, that's another situation, right? Let's say you're feeling like you're really having trouble breathing. You know, call if possible, um, but know you can still use the 911 ambulance services as normal. I understand, and as most listeners in the upper Midwest um, would probably be aware of by now, there is one case, one confirmed testing positive case of COVID-19 in Minnesota. My understanding, and, and I will admit to not being fully informed, but that this particular individual, for lack of a better word, did everything right. Uh, uh, this person did call um, the clinic, and this person wore a mask to get tested and then has been staying home and avoiding other people, that sounds like maybe what people ought to do, um, exactly what this individual had done. Uh, yeah, that is correct. I have to give a big kudos to this person for paying attention to what's going on in the news and guidelines, et cetera. Um, there is one case in Minnesota, as you mentioned, and um, the bit that I know is that he was on a cruise ship, and so he had, <clears throat> excuse me, he had risk, and which is reassuring that we're not just seeing someone in the community where it's spreading around and they had no known risk factors. Um, and he did do everything right. He stayed home until he decided he needed to get tested or ask more questions or get help. He called in first. Um, he wore a mask. And then by calling in, that allows the health care providers some time to get ready for him, have a plan, have the room ready, get all of their uh, personal protective equipment on. And uh, to my knowledge, he wasn't um, – the Minnesota Department of Health does a investigation after, you know, after someone tests positive. And what's really reassuring is he hadn't been in contact because he hadn't been feeling good and, and stayed home. Uh, he hadn't been in contact with many people. So that's really a good thing. Yep. So, yeah, I agree with that. Kudos to this uh, gentleman for, and sorry that he, uh, if he happens to be listening, I'm sorry you don't feel well, but I think that um, we'll talk more about um, how serious the illness is, and we'll talk about what people ought to do about schools and travel and vaccines. We have a lot more to talk about. I understand there might be somebody who has a question exactly about that on the phone lines. Um, um, yeah. As listeners might know, I'm calling from Illinois but I believe we do have some other callers on the line who might want to have a question about self-quarantine. Right, and uh, callers and texters as well, uh, Dr. Hilda. Let me give the phone number, and it applies to both. If you want to call in your question or send a text, 651-989-9226. Uh, Randy is calling from Faribault with a question. Thanks for waiting, Randy. What is your question? Two quick questions. How do they disinfect pillows in hotel rooms between visits, and also how do you self-quarantine in an apartment building? Uh, both good questions. So the first one, uh, disinfect—excuse me, disinfecting pillows. Um, hotels and other establishments have sort of their own routine, not just specific to COVID-19, but their own routine sanitizing um, processes. And so, by washing and bleaching and doing all of those things, uh, there should be no concern that you know your pillowcase or bed sheets would have this if you were to stay in a hotel. Um, the second question you asked was about self-quarantining and so uh, in, in an apartment building. It, it's, a little bit, um, it's a little bit tough, of course, when you live in an area where other people are there. 
I don't think people need to self-quarantine if they're feeling well. So if you're feeling fine, you can go out and about and, and you know, undergo your daily business. If you're feeling sick, we recommend, you know, staying home, not going out, and asking your healthy friend or family member or someone if you need groceries or things like that um, to, help, to help bring you something. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it, this is um, this is David. You know, it it you relatively you have to be relatively close um, to people, do you not? Uh, to get the infection, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So if someone is in their own apartment building and you're not right next to other people for a long period of time, that's a reasonably effective way to isolate from each other. Yeah, that's correct. And so again, we say six feet uh, away from someone or being within six feet of someone and um, being around them for two minutes or more. So what we call a close contact um, is the highest risk for getting sick. So if you're just in the apartment next to someone who's ill, you should be just fine. There is a text, doctors, that says this, does having the pneumonia vaccination help with protection from the coronavirus late stage complication? That's a great question. So as of right now, we have no specific vaccines for coronavirus. And the pneumonia virus vaccines are for a different type of bacterial infection called pneumococcus or pneumococcal pneumonia. And so that um, pneumonia shot won't won't help anything in this situation. And there's another Is one. It, Go ahead, uh, Dr. Hilden. I was going to ask, um, kind of follow up on a couple of these things. Um, do people, um, when you get very, very ill, develop secondary bacterial infections from corona? You know, with any virus, if someone has bad um, respiratory disease from it, so flu, um, coronavirus, et cetera, uh, you can be at risk for developing a secondary bacterial pneumonia. So that's a great question. Um, if um, If you have the pneumonia shots, that will protect you from, you know, a different bacterial pneumonia if you were to be really sick from a viral illness like COVID-19. And my second, if my, if I could have one more, um, sure. uh, then we'll go back to the text lines. But um, I'm sitting in a hotel room right now looking at the pillows. Um, and and so to follow up on, on Randy's question, does laundering generally just for not just people in hotels, but laundering of clothing, is that an effective way to eliminate the virus off of our clothes? Um, yeah, I think it is. Just going through the normal cleaning process should be just fine. A couple of texts. That, in fact, the same question from two different texters. Uh, they want to know how long the virus can live on surfaces. Uh, that's a great question. So we don't know exactly how long. I've heard different estimates, like maybe around four days or longer, which you think, oh, my goodness, that's a long time. Um, but if you do sort of practice routine cleaning at home, and wiping things down, and of course we have daily cleaning practices within the hospital too, um, that has been shown to kill pretty much all of the virus. So just make sure you're wiping things down with cleaning solution, with 60% alcohol or more, and that is a great way to, to keep surfaces clean. I know we need to take a bottom-of-the-hour break and look at the weather, but let's invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. We're talking about the coronavirus all hour today on Healthy Matters. Call in your question or send a text for the doctors, 651-989-9226. In the Twin Cities, skies are fair. Uh, South winds at 16 now. Our current CCO temperature reading, 49 degrees. Stay with us. Welcome back to Healthy Matters, talking about the coronavirus today, COVID-19, answering your uh, questions by phone and by text. 
651-989-9226. We'll get you both, a phone call and a text question answered. Here again is your host, Dr. David Hilden. Thank you, Danny. Good morning, one and all. I hope you are having a good Sunday morning, bright and early due to daylight saving time. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our program today. We are doing a a full hour on the COVID-19 coronavirus situation with my uh, friend and colleague, Dr. Caitlin Eccles-Radke. She is an infectious disease expert and um, uh, is the medical director of the Infection uh, Prevention Program at Hennepin Healthcare. Uh, I do want to just give a shout out to all of our infection prevention colleagues at times like this. It involves just a whole um, array of professionals. At Hennepin, we have others. A gentleman named Dr. John Hick is an emergency preparedness expert. Julie Curdy is a nursing leader who is um, heads up our um, that aspect of it. And there's just a whole team of people at our hospital and at all hospitals in the upper Midwest who are working to keep us all safe. And I do have to just tell the public, although I'm not an infection prevention uh, specialist, I feel I go to bed feeling better about this whole COVID thing, knowing that this team of people is leading us. So back to you, Dr. Eccles-Ratke. Let's talk a little bit about the state of testing in, uh, in Minnesota specifically. Do we have enough test kits? How do they people get tested? Who should be tested? Could you comment on those kinds of things? Sure. Um, it's been a little frustrating initially just because there was a glitch with the test uh, through the CDC earlier on in the, uh, kind of in early February. But uh, within the last week, the Minnesota Department of Health has gotten uh, test kits. So we are able to test within the state as opposed to having to send tests to the CDC. Um, and then you asked about who should get tested. And so right now there are guidelines um, uh, on the CDC's website that talk about Anyone can get tested if they feel sick and if their doctor thinks it's appropriate. And so as we only have a select number of test kits so far and know that we are going to get more as time comes, um, we're really focusing on people who are at risk. And that includes people with symptoms, so fever, cough, trouble breathing, um, who are coming from a high-risk area um, uh, where the virus has been known to have infected a lot of people, Or if someone has a close contact with a person known to have COVID-19, they for sure will get tested. Um, Other people who we are considering testing on are people who have a respiratory illness without uh, another known source and who are are sick. And so as of now, we can't test everybody. um, And so we're really focusing on those who are at highest risk first. Perfect. I want to ask you um, a little bit about travel, if I could, Caitlin. I know that we can't um, give blanket statements about yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. Or, but what are we telling people currently about the safety of specifically air travel? That's a good question. So the CDC website is actually an amazing resource, and there are different levels of travel restrictions, level three being the highest, meaning you really just shouldn't go there unless there's some extenuating circumstance. Um, Level two recommending uh, not traveling, especially if you're maybe higher risk uh, for getting the virus, and we can talk about that in a bit. Um, And level one, where they recommend practicing usual precautions. Um, And so some of the 
the highest level travel uh, restrictions would be to China, Iran, Italy, and South Korea. And we're just recommending that people don't go there right now. Um, Japan is a level two, so we are recommending people not go there um, if they can avoid it, um, but it's a little bit lower risk and so on. And, you know, people have been asking me a lot about should I travel around the United States? And that answer might change every day, and it really depends on sort of where the known cases are and um, and and where you're going. And also if you're well and healthy and can travel or if you're someone maybe who has underlying lung disease or heart disease who may be at higher risk. And so I think the best recommendation I can give is to just check with your provider, um, look at the CDC's website, look at Minnesota Department of Health website, and check out that map to see where cases are happening and then, you know, make a smart decision for yourself. Yeah, that sounds like terrific advice. Who, you mentioned people might be at higher risk. Yeah. Who would that um, be? That is routinely, what we're seeing is about 81% of the cases are mild. And so that's about four out of five people who get mild symptoms, a little cough, cold, flu-like symptoms, and then it passes. Um, The people that are higher risk um, for severe disease are... Um, people who are older, um, we've seen increased risk in people who are obese, and we've seen increased risk in people who have underlying medical conditions like heart disease, lung disease, um, and diabetes. I seem to remember reading, and I don't even know if this has been verified or true, but the initial cases in China were in older men who smoked. Is that true? Uh, That is correct. They found that older People in general are higher risk in men over women. In smoking anytime, I mean, here's a little plug for just working on quitting smoking. Smoking anytime will increase your risk of a whole slew of various medical conditions from lung disease to putting you at risk for other types of respiratory infections to cancers to heart disease to stroke. And so um, it's really important if, if you didn't think about stopping smoking previously, now may be a good time. We well, do have uh, callers and texters if uh, any time you want to grab uh, one or two. Let, let's do that, Denny. I sure. think it's a great time. All right. Diana is calling in from Hutchinson with a question. Diana, you're on CCO. Good morning, everyone. My question is, if you've had your flu shot, does that protect you at all from the coronavirus? Diana, that's a great question. Thanks for calling in. Um At this time, we have no known vaccines against coronavirus. So your flu shot will will work to protect you from the flu, but it doesn't have any effect on the coronavirus. There's a text, too, doctors, that I find interesting, too, because I was asked this question the other day. If you have had the coronavirus and recovered, do you then have immunity? That's a good question, and I think we just don't know the answer to that yet because this is so new. We're just seeing people starting to recover from from this as it has popped up. And so the assumption with other diseases is that you develop some immunity, but what we don't know yet is whether or not that protects you from ever getting it again, or if you were to get it again, would you have a milder case? Uh, I'm just not sure yet. Dr. Hilda, did you want to grab a call? You tell me when. Yeah, I will do that. I'm going to just comment on that that one, and then we'll go back to the phones. I have have heard people all over the map on the, I want to get it so that I'll be um, immune. I've heard even politicians and and people on on national um, venues say that we should just get everybody exposed so we get it over with. That's the ridiculous end, because that would mean 
many people get very ill and many people die, um, all the way down to um, other people who say, uh, well, we should have our health care people. Maybe it would be okay. Those who survive can be the ones to do the caregiving. Have you heard thoughts along those lines, Caitlin? Uh, I have. I've heard a few things. So my first recommendation is don't go trying to get this. And the reason for that is even if you may be someone who doesn't have underlying medical or health conditions and you may do well and not get very sick from it, the risk of you spreading it to someone else who is higher risk is there. Um, And so we don't want to put our vulnerable populations at higher risks. And the other issue with this is because there's so many cases around the globe right now and that it's spreading, the... You know, you may think, well, most people do just fine, so it's not a big deal. But the number of people, if you sort of look at percentages of people who get really sick from it, um, could very well overwhelm our healthcare system in terms of needing, um, you know, supportive cares in terms of the ICU or breathing help or things like that. And so I really recommend people still try not to get sick from this and practice routine infection control precautions. Yeah, in our in our line of work, we talk about flattening the curve of um, number of cases, so that that we I think we're quite ready um, in our hospital systems. But if too many people get it, we would not have enough respirators, and we would not have enough equipment. Isn't that true? That's completely correct. So our goal is to stop this from spreading fast. So anyone who gets sick, we can take care of and get them better before you know the next round of people come in. Whereas if everybody came in at once. Um, it would be a lot more difficult. Denny, should we go back yeah. to the texts and the yeah, phones? Absolutely. Twyla in Minneapolis has been waiting uh, there. Uh, Twyla, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hi. Question. Which is better, hand sanitizer, soap and water, or maybe just uh, warm water if nothing else is available? Uh, great question. So I would recommend just washing your hands with routine soap and water for 20 seconds or longer. But really, hand sanitizer is just as good. Um, it has, you know, most of those are alcohol-based, and so either one is fine. We just recommend using something. All right. 651-989-9226 is the number for both the phone call and the text messages. The texter says this, doctors, will taking vitamin D and C or supplements like those, to boost your immune system, help protect against effects of COVID-19 if you contract it? Great question. So in general, those probably won't do much to uh, prevent the infection. There's no sort of studies or data out there to show that at this time. Um, That said, I have no qualms with people taking, you know, over-the-counter vitamins C and D. Um, And if you feel like it's giving you some benefit, I say go for it. There's another. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I had some questions about um, about parents and and their kids. You know, we hear a lot about school closings and 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 all that, but it's also true that this is a milder disease in children, as far as we know. So, what do you think, Caitlin, about um, uh, parents and kids, and should they feel okay sending their kids to school and things like that? You know, we really haven't seen uh, a big impact of this virus on children. So that that's a great thing because you think about things like the flu and other colds, and kids often get sick and kids are spreaders. Um, and so the good news so far is that, that this really isn't hitting children in a way that it's hitting adults. Um, so I think at this point kids are okay to go to school. You know, teaching them good hand-washing uh, techniques is great. Um, there may be a time once we see – Uh, more cases in our community where 
the state will decide to close schools. But as of right now, I think it's safe for kids to go. We're not seeing community spread. Um, and that keeps parents in the workforce, too, which is really important, especially health care providers in this setting, but everyone. Are you doing planning, or are, I should say, are, are we doing planning at our hospital, and then by extension all hospitals, for workforce issues? For instance, what if all the nurses have their kids home, or what if uh, anybody, the doctors, get sick? Are we doing planning along those lines? We are. And so one thing we're starting to ask people to do is know who your resources are, right? So for a nurse or a physician or, or anybody um, who may, if schools get closed, who may need to be home with their kids, we're asking them to sort of work together and come up with a plan. So whether that plan is having your kids stay home with your aunt or un- their aunt or uncle, with a grandparent, with a neighbor, start thinking about that now so that when it does happen, you're ready for it. Um, and I've seen some really good camaraderie within teams in the hospital. One of our one of our specialties, um, they've actually already been sitting down as a group and, and came up basically with a daycare plan. So... And it rotates, I think, through different people, so most everyone can still work, and they may only have, say, one person out at a given time. We need I'd to love uh, that. go ahead, David. Oh, we, you go ahead, Denny. We'll take a break. I need yeah. and resume after. Sure, we'll take this quick break, and again, inviting our listeners to join in on the conversation. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six for both phone call and text messages. Right now in the Twin Cities, forty nine degrees. We're heading for sixty six later. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. We're talking about the coronavirus today. And here again is Dr. David Hilden. Hi, uh, Denny. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm talking to my colleague, Dr. Caitlin Eccles-Radke, about the coronavirus. And, Caitlin, talk about masks, if you will. Do they help people? Um, that's a good question. So there's sort of different answers for this. Um, it depends on who and where you are and if you're sick or not. And so what I mean by that is... In the healthcare setting, for sure, you are taking care of sick people all the time. You want to protect yourself. Um, and we use for people coming in sick to the hospital and needing testing for COVID-19, we recommend what are called the N95 masks or the respirators. Um, for the general public, if you're not sick, there is no need. And we ask that people don't go nuts buying a whole bunch of masks if there are any left, in all honesty, um, because it really doesn't help you if you're just wearing a simple mask kind of walking around town. That said, people who are out in the community, if you're sick and need to go somewhere and you're coughing, wearing a mask is recommended because it helps catch any sort of sneezes, coughs, respiratory droplets that you may be putting out into the atmosphere. So maybe it's the sick people who should be wearing them. Correct. Yeah. I, um, I, I like your comment about if you can even find any. I know we have a, um, an adequate number of masks at our hospital. We've actually we've counted them. We know what we have. But they are for the right purpose. It's for the healthcare workers and people who are ill. They're not for the general public to go walking around wearing. That is correct. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, concerns with various hospital systems across the world um, will be shortages of medical equipment like masks and things like that. And I know that certain companies um, are ramping up production of masks and sort of moving resources from one area to another to be able to create more. Um, so that is being being addressed, but it is a fear. Could you talk about a vaccine? What's the state of that? You know, I know that there's a lot of very, very smart researchers within our country um, looking at this, moving quickly, trying to work on it. But at this point in time, we 
it, it's just too soon. Um, it does take time for trials to happen, um, you know, things to get tested, approvals to go through. And so I, I think we are months to a year out at least. Um, and we just, I, I would say, I guess we shouldn't rely on that right now. That sounds like sound advice to me. Um, I think that maybe some year next year or the year after the year after, we might be giving people their coronavirus vaccines, but it isn't going to help us in 2020, it doesn't sound like. And I'm I'm actually amazed at um, the science behind that has come out relative to this, that the scientists have been able to do a test for this virus using a PCR technology. For those of you who know laboratory work, it uses a reverse PCR technology in a matter of just Weeks to months, we've been able to develop tests for this, even though the virus is basically brand new. So I'm just a little shout out to the scientists out there. Caitlin, could you just comment a general comment about trying to address people's fears about this thing? It's everywhere. It's on the news. Every day, you know, we've got the general public practically counting cases in their community, and it, it's on our consciousness a lot almost everywhere you go. People are reevaluating how they greet each other. Should we be doing foot taps or doing like the namaste bow that they do in yoga class, or should we be doing fist bumps to people? So it's really permeating our individual lives. How much how can you can you comment about how much people should be worried about this? Is it overhyped? Is it real? Could you just make some comments about that, please? Of course. So I think we as human beings are routine, routinely more afraid of things we don't know about, right? And so that is sort of the scary thing here for people because, one, we just don't quite know how everything about this virus yet since it's new – um, and people are always afraid of things, I would say, that they can't control, right? So feeling sort of that lack of control um, is scary. And so what I would recommend to people is, you know, really work on those techniques that are within your control to keep healthy and not spread things. And to your point about greetings and things, one thing we're going to see more and more of, which is tough for people because we are social beings, but is is something we call social distancing. So, you know, big meetings, um, um, events, et cetera, are getting canceled uh, as a technique to try and um, keep large groups of people away from each other. And I would just recommend, you know, it's okay to say to someone, hey, it's nice to see you. I'd normally shake your hand, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not this time, you know, in efforts to, to just not spread anything. And I think that's okay too. But I think what people need to remember is even though this is a big new thing, you know, take a step back. Think about what you would, would do with the flu or other coughs and colds and follow those practices. And then, you know, you have some control over keeping yourself healthy. That sounds like really good advice. Um, you know, that, that if, you, if you're with somebody and, and you're maybe in a group setting and they're shaking your hand, maybe you're at church passing the peace around. You know, I know congregations have been talking, what do you do there? Maybe it's okay for the time being to um, nobody take it personally. We're just going to do, we're going to bump elbows or we're going to, we're just going to greet each other from an arm's length maybe. I think it, that's maybe an okay thing to just kind of do for a little bit, uh, a little while. Do we know, is this thing seasonal? Is it going to get better in the summer like flu or do we not know that, Caitlin? You know, I think we just don't know yet and it's going to be a sort of a wait and see. Um, obviously that would be 
great if that happens and slows things down. I do think even if that occurs, we'll probably see stuff pop back up in the fall. But it very well could continue to go through the summer. And I, you know, I don't have a, a crystal ball, but I, I kind of expect that it may. One would kind of hope, um, you know, because, you know, viruses tend to, for odd reasons and not entirely understood, they do better in the dry air. Um, it's something about the droplets. They they seem to do better in the winter. At least that's what most viruses do. And it would be, you know, it may, I don't know, it would be nice <laughs> if this one um, did that exact same thing and maybe that this will be a springtime thing, at least in the worst of it, and that it might get better in the summer. But we just simply don't know. Danny, should we go back to the text or the yeah, phone line? Yes, we have a little, uh, we have less than two minutes to go. Let's, we have a bunch of text messages. See if we can't uh, do a little lightning round here. Texter says, I work at a bank and work with other people's money. How at risk am I and any ideas other than using hand sanitizers? Oh, that's a great question. I actually don't think I've gotten that one before. As they say, money is dirty. Um, I would say, again, just going back to your routine infection control practices, using hand sanitizer regularly, not touching your face, nose, mouth, eyes, um, and, and that's a good thing. There's another text, doctors, that says, I am scheduled for total knee replacement uh, late this month. Would you expect elective surgeries to be postponed? Uh, I think that's going to be sort of a day-to-day thing. And so later this month, you may still be okay if it were later out. Uh, it's just hard to know because this is so new where, what direction it's going, how many cases we'll have in three days, five days, seven days. So I would say just watchful waiting. Don't cancel anything yet and take guidance from your healthcare system. And a caller wanted to ask uh, if one is inactive, does being inactive hurt you? Um, there has been some data uh, that people who are obese or overweight um, are at higher risk, but inactivity as a sole factor, uh, we just don't know. All right. Well, we are just about uh, out of time. Any final thoughts, Dr. Hilden? Well, I just want to thank my colleague and friend. I've known Caitlin for many years, and um, she is just a wealth of information and knowledge. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for helping uh, educate us and for giving us good factual information today. Well, thanks for having me. All right, and next week, I think we're talking about uh, Ask the Poison Experts, I believe, next week. Indeed we are, Denny, and we will give an update on coronavirus next week as the need arises. Excellent. Thanks very much, Dr. Hilden, and thank you, Dr. Tu, for coming in. Some great great answers here. Uh, We couldn't get to all the texts. We appreciate your patience. Again, next week on Healthy Matters, Ask the Poison Experts. In the Twin Cities right now, we've moved to uh, 49 degrees. High today, 66.